0: Welcome, everybody, to Inside LAFC. I am Max. As always, a pleasure to be with you uh, a forum that I don't take lightly. I really appreciate it uh, to talk about LAFC. A reminder to please subscribe, rate and review, tell your friends, as uh, we provide you topics that have to deal with our club and our city, for the most part. Not always exclusively. It will be today. Um, I'll be joined by Aleko Eskandarian. And just for some background, Aleko was uh, an immense talent. Uh, and we will talk about his career in major league soccer and his untimely end due to, uh, concussions. We'll talk about that a bit, but this was also, I was alerted because I follow Aleko on Twitter and his, he is, uh, Armenian, uh, Iranian and Armenian, but obviously the, his family based in Armenia we'll, he'll, it, I had the conversation. I just had the conversation and forgive me if I'm a little, uh, moved cause we, we, there was some, some heavy subject matter. And, uh, so, um. Uh, we talked about, uh, what he was tweeting about and the, the current situation in Armenia and the surrounding. And again, we're having a discussion here. These are very sensitive issues, but I want to do it because of our, in, in by and large, cause, uh, all the Armenians in the city of Los Angeles, uh, a community I've learned to respect and love over the years, uh, people that, you know, uh, I would, uh, I respect them. I put my life on because of these relationships I have, and I really appreciate that. Uh, and to be honest, I'm a Cuban. Growing up in Miami, it reminded me of the Cuban community a lot. So that's obviously off the track a bit of what we're going to talk about, but he was uh, alerting folks, and we were going to talk a little bit about that and what we can do and how we can educate ourselves a little better. That is coming up next. Let's talk about LAFC for a moment. Big game coming up for... The Galaxy, the game at Portland, well in our rearview mirror, but I want to talk about how impressive that was. That was a win. When you're missing all those key players and you're playing 16-year-olds, they're both 16 now, uh, and the kid's getting a run and you come back against a Portland team that is the second best scorers in the league, that is competing for the best spot in the West, and you get a point out of that, And now you set the table for four games, maybe five, depending on the Rapids rescheduling. You have these games where LAFC is in a position to make the playoffs comfortably and maybe get as high as third. I think they really got to aim for fourth. And I think they'll get fourth. And fourth is good business. You know, the way this season was going. And getting fourth or possibly third depends on what happens this weekend at home against the Galaxy. Early start games on ABC at 1230 just to put a bow on what the Academy has done. And now all the players are coming back. So the Academy players playing time is, is going to recede. But for Christian Torres to get that goal is uh, a historic moment. And for so many people, because before LAFC kicked a ball, there were people building this club. And the first thing they did was the Academy and guys like Eric Duenas were here when they were 11 years old, even younger. I, beginning that first academy and building towards it. So I was here when the team started in 2018, but these are guys in 2016, 17 that have seen this development. This is amazing to have that foundation stone of the club get to the point where one of your own scores a goal, 16 years of age, not only scores a goal, but a goal that gets a valuable point. And that point is going to come up big at the back end of the season. Also good to see all the internationals coming back. I thought they had a great experience and I think it's going to show on the field. I also want to wrap up. One of the things I love about Major League Soccer is the 22 under 22. It's a list that the league wouldn't have been able to do 10 years ago because there weren't 22 good players under 22 years of age. There weren't guys you wanted to celebrate. Now you have maybe 40 to 50 that you could put on that list and there's only room for 22. There's three or four on LAFC that weren't even going to make that list that you could probably say they have a stake. One of them did Brian Rodriguez, who's now 20. He was number two. Number one was Brendan Aronson. And Brendan Aronson should be number one. He just went uh, sold for a big money contract. I think Brian Rodriguez, if he's ever sold, probably gets more money because he's now a featured player for the Uruguayan national team. But that hopefully Brian's an LAFC player for his whole career. But Brendan Aronson should be number one for what he has done. Brian is second. It's an amazing list. Check it out on mlssoccer.com it's a sign of a healthy league. There is no doubt about it. Inside LFC, coming up my conversation with Aleko Eskandarian about head trauma, about playing in major league soccer, about working in MLS soccer and being part of the Armenian community and how to use his form to magnify what is happening there. This is Inside LFC. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Inside LAFC, a conversation I was really looking forward to having for a variety of reasons. A guy I've known since he broke into the league, we're gonna age ourselves, but hey, we're old. I'm older than you, as we welcome Aleko Eskandarian. And as I said at the beginning of the program, we wanna talk more about the situation in uh, Armenia and your platform, how you used it uh, to get some attention. We'll, we'll, we'll address that in a moment, but I wanna you know, start with you and your career. Uh, listen man when you came into the league there weren't many players if any that kind of you fit the bill with the technical skills the background and the ability to score goals uh what was it like for you when you when you're breaking in here because you really hit the ground running and had uh immediate success
1: yeah um i mean i i'd like to think i was you know preparing for it my whole life you know since i was a kid dreaming about being on that stage obviously uh all credit has to go to to my father who um, was my hero growing up, and and um, obviously he reached the pinnacle of, of any soccer career with playing in a World Cup and making a World All Star team and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I dreamed about it since you know the day I was born of of uh, playing in front of crowds and stadiums and and uh, playing professionally. So it was very much a, a dream come true, but uh, I definitely had a lot of obstacles and bumps in the road on on the way. So. Um, even when I first got into MLS, my rookie year was, was pretty difficult. I played a bunch, but I wasn't a regular starter and, um, I was really hard on myself. And so my second year, I really, uh, kind of went, you know, um, (laughs) I I put, I put my foot on the gas pedal and, and, uh, said, you know, there's no turning back now. And it it worked out for me.
0: Uh, You created a lot of good memories. Your dad was, uh, with the Iranian national team, correct?
1: Correct. Correct.
0: Which world cup was it?
1: 78, 1978, 1978,
0: in Argentina. And they have a nice pet. It was like 78. You know, I, I kind of educated myself on the Iranian team. I remember that Ali Dai came in that was at the 90s and he was scoring goals. And then obviously they were in the group with USA in 98. And they were, is it what, 2000? Were they were the last World Cup? Can't I, I can't retain this information. Uh, yeah, they were. Or, or it was, or yeah, Kuros coached them. They almost won the group when they had that last goal. Who could forget that? But that's incredible. I and mean, you as a player, uh, I mean, you were a, an attacking guy. You were a guy who could use both feet and score goals. How would you also went to the University of Virginia, you know, college soccer has changed a bit, but back then that was, if you were a good player in the States, you went to college, you went to the University of Virginia.
1: Correct. Yeah. Uh, that was, <laughs> I mean, that was a whole separate journey. You know, I grew up in North Jersey and um, there's a lot of great soccer players where I grew up and, and I, I'm really proud of, of uh, I guess, the, the route that I went to get to where I was because the club team that I played for, like, I never even won a state cup. I never even went to a state cup final. Like, I was very much on, like, a street soccer team. Like, guys showing up in taxi cabs uh, at halftime to play. <laughs> changed a uh, lot. <laughs> yeah, our, our club team that I played for was, like, United Nations. Like, Jamaicans, Peruvians, Italians. Like, it was just a cluster of all these different um, – pockets of ethnicities that, that exist in North Jersey and love playing soccer. So, um, I love that, but I also wasn't exposed to like the country or the region or anything like that. We were very much in our own bubble. So for me to even make a youth national team or to get a scholarship at Virginia was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm worthy of that or if if I'm ready for that. Uh, so there was like a whole process to kind of get through, to be exposed to it and then be like, okay, wait a minute. I think I could hang and Kind of make a mark so my my career trajectory is always very interesting with kind of struggling or failing at first and then getting the confidence to then uh work my way through and take over
0: it's crazy new jersey is such fertile ground for football and it certainly had its heyday it still is uh and bob bradley our coach uh, tyler miller our former goalkeeper also called a new jersey home were you i just i have to check because i always I like to get a rise out of Bob sometimes because like I told him once ago, hey, you know, the best band out of New Jersey is he goes, oh, it's Bruce. I go, no, the Misfits. And he gave me this, this death stare. But does uh, everyone in Jersey have to be a big Bruce fan? You can't walk around and not be a Bruce fan, right?
1: Yeah, the boss, the boss runs New Jersey. Bon Jovi <laughs> used to be in there, but now he's way more Philly yeah. and like Delaware. So I, I did not know that. You see, the lines are being drawn. Fantastic. And, you know, the, boss, the boss runs Jersey for sure.
0: You, so your playing career, uh, unfortunately, was very short. And I'll talk about it in a second. But you wrapped it up in Los Angeles. You ended up playing with Chivas USA and then the Galaxy briefly. So what, what was that like at that time to be playing in this city?
1: It was amazing. For me, it was – so to kind of give you background, I, when my, my contract ended with, uh, with MLS and I was with Real Salt Lake at the time, and I had actually gone over to Belgium. I was training there. Uh, I was at Standard Liège. And uh, it looked that I was going to get some sort of offer or be loaned out. Or I was, I was looking to kind of take that step to, to Europe. Um, and then I got a phone call from MLS, And they were like, what will it take for you to uh, stay in MLS? And ultimately, I was like, the only way I will return to MLS is if I'm in L.A. or New York. Um, at that point, some conversations were had. Um, and an agreement came to be, uh, with Chivas to move to LA. Um, so yeah, I had to, and then I had to make a decision in like 24 hours. They're like, all right, it's LA, but that's you have not to fair. That. So I remember being like in a hotel room in Belgium being like, all right, I guess I'm moving to LA. Why, um,
0: why, why LA? Why was that on your list is that you wanted to, you, you spent some time because you have family, correct? And
1: yeah, yeah. So I have a lot of family in LA. So my immediate family is all in New Jersey and that's where I grew up. Um, but all my cousins, uncles, grandparents were were in LA at the time, so um, we would go as a family to LA um, at least like twice a year. So that was very much my, my second home. Um, and yeah, I, I just looked at it as a as a new challenge to. I, I just needed the comfort of of playing in front of uh, in front of family and um, obviously a huge Armenian community there as well. So I was really really excited to to finally play in front of my fans
0: you had to end up retiring around 28 29 is that correct 26 27
1: actually like a week after my 27th birthday yeah
0: and this is you unfortunately had head trauma kind of follow you around for a fair bit and it was it was repeated unfortunately i remember you were one of the first players to wear that helmet but how did that get hold of you to the point where you knew "I, i can't keep playing
1: yeah, I mean, I was always an aggressive player, and that's one of, the, one of the things I prided myself on is I wasn't the biggest guy, but uh, whenever I stepped on the field, uh, I didn't fear anyone or anything or any challenge. You know, even if chances of me winning the challenge weren't very high, I was still going to go 110% um, for as long as I was on the field. And unfortunately, I was involved in a couple collisions, I'll say, or, or freak challenges that were not regular soccer plays that resulted in a variety of different concussions. And uh, early on, I kind of brushed them off. Like I had a bunch where I was fine. I stayed in the game or I, even when I got knocked unconscious, like I'd kind of like get the smelling salt, follow the finger and you're like, all right, I'm good to go, get back out there. And early on it was okay. And then I had a really bad one in 2005 that uh, knocked me out for ten months, and I wasn't sure if I'd ever come back to play again. Um, and that was a, a really, really difficult uh, time of my life. Where at that time, I think I was twenty-three or twenty-two, and um, and yeah, it was it was really, really. It, it put everything in perspective to to think like, okay, your brain is not something that you want to mess with, and this could end my career even now. So. Fortunately, I was, I was able to recover from that one. Um, I, I can never tell you if I totally 100% recovered or not, but recor- recovered enough to play soccer again. And unfortunately, four years later, when I was with the Galaxy, I uh, had another uh, freak one. We were playing AC Milan in a friendly Tiago Silva just uh, went to clear the ball and uh, just caught me right in the side of the face, broke my nose, uh, but just the whiplash um, from not expecting it, uh, knocked me out. and. I mean, totally honest, I, I knew at that moment, it's not good, you know, it, you, don't, you don't get, they don't get increasingly easier to recover from, you know, it just gets worse and worse. And uh, I knew right away that something was wrong and unfortunately ended up uh, being the end of my career.
0: What was it like with, uh, for you, I mean, I can't even imagine for to get that serious where you put your career uh, in peril, but, and I spoke to Taylor Twelman who had uh, unfortunately a similar, Uh, fate with his career because of concussions but what is what was that pain like that you could maybe describe it to us where you know okay this this isn't right this isn't normal
1: yeah it was it was a dark period so it's funny because Bruce Arena was the coach at the Galaxy at the time and right away when the when the incident happened I knew I wasn't okay I remember telling my trainer like this isn't good like I, I gotta come out of the game Um, with which usually I'd be like fighting to you know stay on the field, but right away I knew it wasn't good. But then when I watched the replay of it actually happening, I was like, oh, because I didn't know what happened. Like when the collision actually happened, I I blacked out. And I remember uh when I kind of came to, I was struggling to breathe. I I was almost swallowing my tongue. Oh boy, I didn't even know it. And I think Tiago Silva, another player in AC Milan were like speaking a different language, trying to like helped me up and all that stuff. But I didn't know, like, did I get punched? Did I get like, did, I get, did someone, a fan walk in with a brick and hit me over the head? Like what happened? So when I finally saw the replay, I was like, oh, I just took a ball to the face. Like that's happened hundreds of times. Like I'm going to be good. And I remember telling Bruce at the time, like, don't put me on the season season-ending injury list. Like I will beat this, I'll, I'll come back. And so I was kind of doing all these like different exercises working to, to try to recover. And then I finally had a bout with uh, vertigo, which really, really messed me up where I actually like passed out um, at a family dinner um, just because there were a couple of different conversations going. I was like laughing and different things were going on and my brain just kind of hit overload and I fell back uh, in my seat and my entire family was like, what's going on? And that was the first moment that I was like, okay, this is much bigger than me, like, being tough or like doing rehab and, and getting back at it, this is something that I really need to um, think about and, and uh, take seriously. And once I started seeing different neurologists um, and spoke to different doctors, they were like, "It's no doctor in the world could ever clear you to get back out there and, and deem it safe." Wow,
0: are we doing enough to? Comp- are we doing enough to be pre- precautionary with all of? that? I mean, this is obviously a new. This is coming. The new data is coming up where we see this more often, and there are ways to prevent it. But you know, and with soccer, and people forget, a lot of people are using their heads. It's it really is one of the most violent sports. I played rugby. I played. I watch football, and people go, "This is violent." Or boxing. I Go. Soccer has those moments. Correct me if I'm wrong, because you're 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 putting your head in a lot of places. Are we doing enough
1: in a preventive way? Yeah, well, not only that, don't forget, we don't have helmets. We don't have padding. So Dude, I'm when telling collisions, you. collisions uh, happen, there's – You guys don't get enough credit the for
0: the toughness. I sit there and I watch you soccer play. I go watch them play at full speed. It's, it's, it's terrifying at times.
1: Yeah. No, I think um, we've made incredible strides in the awareness, and we've had some great advocates uh, speak about it and raise, raise the issue. And um, I think parents are, are more and more aware of it. Players themselves are, are more aware of it. And I'm really proud now that I I work at MLS at the league office, um, to sit in on the concussion committee meetings. And I think we've introduced a lot of great new preventative protocols that will, uh, we have seen the number kind of go down a little bit in terms of guys who have to pull themselves out of a game or guys who should not have continued playing. Um, I think we're, we, we take it very, very seriously. And the new measures that have been put in to evaluate and diagnose, I've come a long way from when I was playing. So I'm at least proud of that.
0: You still, does it still flare up? Are there's moments where you, it's something you're gonna have to deal with moving forward, correct?
1: Correct, correct. Okay. Yes, I've improved. I've, it took a while. Um, I, I, for about two years, I was in a really dark place. I couldn't do anything. Couldn't work out, couldn't go for a walk, couldn't be under the sun, couldn't be in uh, loud uh, places. I couldn't do anything. And it was like, it would bring me to tears. Like I, I, I was like, how am I supposed to live You know, without doing all these things that I enjoyed for all my life Um, but gradually you just have to be your own doctor and just take baby steps baby steps and uh, fortunately I was able to make incremental improvements where now I am able to kind of go for a run or or do different things and stay within myself but I have a limit and yeah uh, my brain is very quick to remind me when I surpass those limits Uh, so I just have to kind of stay within myself and, and be smart.
0: And you said you're with MLS, and you're with player development and player relations. How are how is that? Because we deal with players here, and we know it's 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 got its challenges, but it's a it's a big job. And I obviously I'm glad that you'll be able to do it. But how's that been for you so far?
1: It's been great uh, for me when I when my playing career ended, and I was looking to uh, reinvent myself and figure out you know what, what do I have to offer to uh, this world or or, or to soccer. Uh, that was one of the things that I that I really. Uh, had a passion for, of just being able to make our league grow, helping uh, future players, helping uh, the entire landscape of of our country from grassroots, youth soccer, uh, all the way up through uh, college and to the pro ranks. So that's something that I've really taken pride in and being a part of and introducing my ideas and, and hopefully helping the sport in this country improve.
0: Oh, we're, we're lucky to have you, my friend. And uh, I look forward to you putting your stamp on that job in the years ahead. Cause I know you're still, you're still early, still in diapers in your executive, <laughs> as I like to say, okay, let's Armenia. And I'm going to tell you about my perspective. Uh, I grew up in Miami. I didn't know where Armenia was. When I moved to LA, I saw the flags. I didn't know that was the Armenian flag. So it's a, obviously a small country. there central Europe. And I, uh, I began to have, you know, I'd have a dentist who was Armenian, I have a neighbor, and I realized this community was incredible, an incredible community that has, has really taken a, a championship role in building Los Angeles, and you feel it everywhere, doctors, lawyers, scientists, uh, leaders, on the civic side, you name it. So I've grown to, I've grown to really admire that community. And I kick myself because I haven't really learned about Armenians and I wanted to maybe talk a little to you about that to help because I'm still a blank slate and I will say I have a lot of Turkish friends and I think the world of that community here in the United States and I haven't talked to them about it. This I I wanted to get you on the pod because I saw your tweets and you're trying to get attention for this. You're you're challenging politicians and you want people's attention so uh, this is a platform and I want to leave it. I, I wanted to come to you. Cause I know you're very level with all of this, but being vocal on social media, what does this mean to you? And now uh, spending time with your Armenian family in Los Angeles and, and obviously in New Jersey, what, why is this so important to be championing this now?
1: Yeah. Um, first of all, it's important to say that this isn't something that we just started now.
0: Right. Right. Uh,
1: this is, uh, you know, for every Armenian that, that is born, um, you you quickly learn about your history. And our history very much defines our identity. And one of the most important parts of our history that uh, continues to go unnoticed is the Armenian genocide of of 1915. And this is something that I encourage all people to do their own research about, to read history books, to uh, listen to historians, watch documentaries. This is like, it's, it's, it should not be controversial, it is fact, it's black and white. However, uh, with the way things work in the world through, call it government policies or corruption, whatever you want to call it, somehow this has been a, a topic that has been denied by the Turkish government, that it never happened. Um, obviously, being unbiased, I can say, I understand why they would want to deny that, right? No, no country or government wants to be associated with atrocities of of that measure. Um, And nobody wants to be uh, compared to like Nazi Holocaust days. With that said, the fact remains that the Armenian genocide actually provided Hitler with the blueprint to the Holocaust. And that's documented. That's like he cited it in his speeches, right? So these aren't things that should be controversial, but because of Different allies and 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 um, you know call it almost like business interactions between different countries. This has been taboo to talk about,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, there's documentation about the amount of money that is that is passed along to remove this from history books or to forbid certain countries from acknowledging it. As an Armenian, that I can't I can't properly express to you how hurtful that is because. Um, we mentioned earlier that my dad played for Iran in the World Cup. And the fact of the matter is millions of Armenians as a result of the Armenian genocide had their families and their homes broken. They were all dispersed. They were orphaned. Um, Many people, when you look at their family tree, there are gaps because of the Armenian genocide where it's like we don't know what happened to this person or that person and where they ended up. It's it's not a, a happy story. Like it's, we're talking about Um, pillaging and raping and and uh, slavery like it's really really ugly stuff and um, as a result a lot of Armenians were forced to uh, disperse to neighboring countries so so it's common now that anytime I meet an Armenian the first question is what kind of Armenian are you are you Mm. Armenian from Armenia are you Armenian from Lebanon are you Armenian from Iran are you Armenian from Turkey like because everyone kind of has their own story of where their family ended up and it's actually rare to meet an Armenian from Armenia, because so many uh, were forced to flee.
0: And this so, is like two or three generations away. So whether they moved to Lebanon or Iran, they they've developed, they've kept that Armenian correct. identity, but they've also adopted. the American group is that fair to say with the American? They're very, they're an American, group, but they. And I think that's part of the part you respect. They've maintained those bonds to Armenia all this time later.
1: Correct. Well, we learn at a very young age what our forefathers died for, right? And Um, it's first of all to keep, you know, our faith, but our language, our culture, our traditions, all these things. And for us, it's really important that they did not die in vain, you know, that we always keep that alive. And, um, for me, it was, you know, it's interesting because Armenian was actually my first language. When my dad moved over here to play for the New York cosmos, he didn't speak any English. My mom didn't speak any English. Um, and by the way, both my mom and my dad are Armenians who grew up in Iran and they like met at like, the athletic club, which was like all Armenians in, Mm -hmm. in Tehran. Um, so you're, you're very much, uh, I don't even want to say encourage like it's your responsibility for you to learn about your language, the culture and, and the history and the traditions and to keep that alive. And so, um, for me growing up, Armenia was my first language. Uh, we, we, um, very much, uh, kept all those customs and traditions alive. I went to, an Armenian school growing up, which was like the only one in New Jersey, where I only had like eight kids in my grade. So it was like very much a different uh, type of childhood. And I actually, I spoke English with an accent. Like it was very much, people would think like- like, All I
0: hear now is Jersey.
1: (laughs) I've I've assimilated uh, somehow. I don't think I had a choice in Jersey, but it's funny that when I was growing up, people with my name and everything, the first question was like, you're not from here. Like, where are you from? Even though I was like, I'm born in New Jersey. It was like, there's no way. But my whole life, I've been used to telling people, you know, like, Aleko, what kind of name is that? Or where are you from? To tell them the Armenian story and just kind of educate. So this has been something that my whole life I've been used to doing and I take pride in. And now, unfortunately, with uh, the recent current events, it's, uh, it's now blown up on, on a national scale where our, uh, our existence is, is once again at risk. Uh, the rhetoric from the other side, I'll call it, has been really, really troubling. And for, for me and every Armenian, we have an oath, right, of like 1915 never yeah. again. Like we will never allow uh, those atrocities to ever happen. And, and now we're seeing a little, uh, a little flashes of, of a reminder of what happened in 1915 happening again now in 2020. And we're doing everything we can to prevent that from happening
0: as I told you at the beginning, when I moved here, I didn't know anything about Armenia. I didn't have an Armenian friends uh, and maybe this, I think says a lot about that community. I have multiple and I follow them on Instagram and I see them posting and this, I obviously got the attention from you. And you know, it's one thing about, it's one thing on a side note about Armenians is I've discovered if a, if a last name ends I-A-N, it's a good shot they're Armenian. So I've got three or four and they, all their last names end with those letters. Uh, and it's very, it, it says a lot about the community that that's so powerful that you you can identify with a name, place. I don't want to get off topic, but I, I, I've seen the photos and, and, and even we, it, we, and the tweets. And with you, I, I realize it's, it's, there's these relief efforts that are very important. So how is it, why is it so important for you to have that platform? Because I saw you, you obviously want to get attention to the situation, but there's also another layer of, look, we, we, there, the folks there need help. And I've seen you take that, that role and get some support on social media. Just in the immediate point, just the immediate point of, uh, of assisting folks, getting them uh, food and whatever they need. Uh, how is that, is that the approach you're taking by and large as well?
1: It's difficult. Um, right now for all Armenians, we're doing everything we can, but if I'm being totally honest, none of it seems like it's enough. And unfortunately there are certain barriers that uh, Armenia faces geograph- geographically where it is Um, There's like even avenues for aid to come into Armenia is being blocked, which which is extremely, extremely frustrating. So at at this point, yes, donating is the number one avenue to helping the people on the ground, whether it's um, getting the military uh, food and and resources that they need to continue fighting, whether it's helping the people who have had their homes and schools and buildings blown up to repair. Um, or even those that have had to flee and disperse back to um, different lands to uh, be able to start a new life. So we're very much, the the entire Armenian diaspora is doing all we can to help contribute to that. But as an Armenian American, we also want to ask our government the, the right questions and ask, you know, why are we selling weapons to Azerbaijan and Turkey that are being used against Armenians? Why do we have certain policies in place uh, with nations that uh, support terrorists who actually hurt our country. So these are all questions that are just being asked. And um, I think we, for me especially, I just want to help educate and have people look into it to ask their own questions, to formulate your own opinions. I don't want anyone to just listen to me and say, oh, if Aleko said it, then it has to be 100% true. Like do your own research, look into it, understand why, why are there billions of dollars being spent for lobbyists in DC and PR firms to kind of twist messages. Why is that even a need, right? And when you kind of follow that paper trail of money, it becomes very clear uh, which, which side has kind of dirt or guilt on their side and which side is the innocent victim. So that's what we're trying to bring um, to a head right now. Um, and we've seen some great results already with PR firms and lobbyist groups that are now backing out of their, their deals Um, with Azerbaijan and Turkey. And to me, it's not like, that's not something to celebrate. It should have never happened in the first place. That doesn't bring back the, the uh, innocent people that have died, or that doesn't uh, change what happened with the genocide. These are just things that, um, unfortunately, we learn just how the work world works and how business works and how if you don't speak up about it, it gets pushed under a rug and you never hear about it. And for us, the time has come where enough is enough and we have to be heard.
0: And I think that's a wonderful thing to say is do your own homework uh, and it, because we again this was this was a I wanted to do this Paul but it was I wanted to give I, I impossible not to give everyone their say and maybe in the best case was to have you and somebody from a professor somewhere to talk about it in depth but I want to have that conversation with you and I think we should encourage people to do that that homework on their own. And I, I think with you know hearing it from you and the you mentioned the diaspora of the Armenians here, and they're the they're obviously talking about it. But does it feel like this is something you said sweeped on the rug that's not being it's, there's not being conversed about in other circles enough?
1: You know, I mean, we saw at the beginning of this conflict, the media wasn't even covering it. Like you would have, I can't tell you how many messages I got from people who were saying keep posting about it because I would have no way of knowing about it otherwise. And that was another interesting paper trail to, to follow. Like, why are they not talking about it? And then you see all the money that's being pumped into the media from uh, putting out this message. So, you know, one thing that's been really troubling is when you look back at these um, horrific instances like the Holocaust, like the genocide, one of the first things they talk about, you know, these like dictators that, that committed these atrocities is the only way you do it is by controlling the message. And, That's what is so frustrating for me to see that in 2020, the fact that they have been able to somewhat be effective in doing that is one that I think we have all taken very personally and we are absolutely not going to stop until everyone understands the truth behind what's going on. Because it's, to your point, it's difficult, right? If you don't know much about it and now you're hearing me say one thing, you're hearing the other side say a different thing, it it can be confusing and convoluted and you're like, I don't know. I don't want to pick sides. I don't know what's going on. But when you do, when you do the research and you dig a little bit deeper, it becomes very, very clear what's going on. And I'll even cite, you know, I'm, I'm an Armenian obviously. So, um, you know, where my loyalty stand, but I look at guys like Enes Cantor, who's a Turkish, uh, citizen or very one, vocal yeah. who plays in the NBA, who has been very outspoken about his own country's government. And for me, it's really important for people to understand that I have nothing against Turkish people or Azerbaijani people. It's the government. It's these dictators that, that are committing these atrocities because there are some great um, Turkish people that I'm friends with who've even apologized to me about, hey, like we grew up, we grew up thinking a certain way. And it wasn't until I opened up my mind and saw you know, the truth that I realized what had happened. And obviously, you know, I'm not mad at my friend, like he didn't do anything. It's, it's not, these are, these go way uh, above the people and, and the citizens of the country. And in many ways, the citizens of that, of that country are almost prisoners. Like they can't speak out against it or say anything. So when mum is the word, that's when all the dirt gets done.
0: Aleko, i um, uh, I really appreciate you sharing this with me. And, and again, I encourage folks to educate themselves on this, and just pay attention to it. I know it's an uphill battle. and I, I know you're getting some support here and there. And I, uh, I know Vince LaRosa saw some of your tweets too. And he even mentioned maybe we should be to my friend, one of my colleagues here. And I'm, I'm really glad we've been able to do it because this is a great community here, man. And it's, uh, the more you know about them, the, the, the more you respect that group and the more you want to listen to them. And uh, I'm really glad I have this relationship with you that I was able to do it. So, all the best to you man. I know you got a lot on your plate, but we ap- I appreciate your time and uh, I, I will be pay- I will be staying tuned with my ears wide open.
1: Likewise, thank you for getting for the opportunity to talk about it. I'll I'll plug um, Armenia Fund is is Oh the, yes. is the fund that we're all uh, donating to right now that is getting support to all the innocent civilians on the ground. Um, but yeah, all we can do is uh, try to help support, um, try to raise awareness and educate, and just pray for peace. That, that's that's uh, number one um, on all our minds right now. So thank you so much for, for bringing me on, and I wish you all the best as well.
0: You're a good man, Aleko. All the best to you and yours, and we'll, we'll chat here pretty soon. And yes, uh, we appreciate everyone ch- listening into Inside LAFC. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll get ready for LAFC Galaxy this weekend. We'll talk to you guys very soon.